Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Heaven. Jesus loves you and is there for you. Welcome in to the David O'Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls of heaven, especially those most near thy mercy. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Pia Toussaint, pray for us. Venerable Father Gosses Tosin, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? True freedom is antithetical to Christianity because true freedom is inseparable from the truth. And truth is, truth is not a thing or an idea, something to be grasped. Rather, truth is a person named Jesus Christ. Therefore, in a post-truth and post-truth society and a post-Christian society, what we would expect to find is that there are things posing as freedom, allusions to freedom, remnants of freedom scarcely to be found. So I'm going to draw from my favorite theologian, Joseph Ratzinger. One day he had become Pope Benedict XVI, of course. And I'm going to draw from his writings to make some distinctions of freedom that we would expect to find in a post-Christian society. Then at about the 20-minute mark, Michael Snyder, author and speaker and creator of the Economic Collapse blog, he'll be on to talk to us about the roots of our present um, economic condition. So that's going to be exciting. The producer of the show is Cecil on the Guadalupe Radio Network, and she's in the house. How's it going, Cecil? It's going pretty well. How's it going for you? It's going good. You know, nothing really new, nothing blue. So <laughs> I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah, right. Unless you like the color blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not getting married, right? That's, that's done. So yeah, you don't need anything blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Cecil, so there's this, um, I was always, I was over on the Twitter, right? As I, I shouldn't be. There's nothing good on Twitter, right? But, <laughs> but anyway, that's where you go to slum around. And so, Cecil, there's this um, girl on there, and I got kind of, you know, I was like sad when I, I read this tweet. So, so she was in RCIA, and she was sad. She's sad by the fact that she has said, if you're an RCA, this is what she said. If you're an RCIA, don't get on Catholic Twitter. It'll ruin you. And I don't think I'm going to become Catholic now. And so apparently she got on Twitter. She joined, you know, she started following a bunch of Catholics. And she found out that, you know, there was some infighting. She said mm -hmm. she said she found out. She, she, she was shocked to find out that there are Catholics who don't believe the church's teaching on things like marriage and abortion mm -hmm. and human sexuality. And so she so she's like up in the air. So. What was your thoughts on that? Like, should people not join ghetto Catholic Twitter <laughs> if they're if they're Narzi gang? What's oh, up? Well, first off, that is incredibly sad. That is very, very sad. Um, I would just say, like, on the whole, I don't think Twitter 
in general always produces the greatest mindset sometimes for us. <laughs> like I, I, I have a Twitter that I go on one time a year. And do you know why I go on it one time a year? Why? It's actually coming up. It's this weekend. I go on during the Super Bowl for one reason is because I don't know if you've heard of the hashtag Super Bowl in the convent. Um, no. But a bunch of religious sisters across America t- live tweet about the Super Bowl and make commentary about what's be- like being said from all the sisters and the nuns. And it is what? hysterical. And it's the most what? wholesome thing you will get all year. <laughs> so that is like the one time a year I go on Twitter is to follow the hashtag Super Bowl in the convent. It do is... they even know what's going on? I mean, what are they <laughs> well, saying? Well, it depends. There are all different types. Well, some of them are just like, oh, that was a really cute commercial. Or they're like, oh, that girl needs Jesus. Or you know, it's just like, you know, really funny things like that. And it's Or they're just like, wait. Wait, who has the ball? Who are we rooting for? And they're like, oh, this team has more Catholics, you know? And it's like really cute things like that. And it's the most wholesome oh, thing. Man. But that, that, that aside, cool. that aside, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's interesting. So I was, I converted when I was 17. And yeah. uh, I will say I probably was a little bit oblivious, obviously, to a lot of things, you know, because you're, you're new. It's new. It's fresh. You're yeah. like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. And I came from Protestant churches. And we had often, my family had to leave many Protestant churches and often denominations because of problems within that church on a very small scale, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I was very used to the the broken humanity of Christianity, right? Oh. Right? So I was used to that. <laughs> However, I was like, oh, finally, the church Jesus founded. It'll be all good. <laughs> Because <laughs> that was the thing is because right. on the Protestant side, it's right. all the little nitpicking about little things, you know, between, oh, well, this is what set my denomination apart. And this is like this one pact from, you yeah. know, 1573, you know, whatever yeah. happened. And um, but I, I it was a little disheartening when I first kind of like started learning about all the, yeah. you know, the, the the family drama, you know, that goes yeah. inside the Catholic Church. It is disheartening. One hundred percent. But my advice to. To her, you know, should she ever hear this <laughs> or just in general to anyone who's having that struggle is remember to that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that I tell myself, you know, all the time. Members and leaders of the church will fail us many, many, many times. Oh, yeah, all day long. But yeah. all day long, I will fail, you know, the, a lot, many times over. So to remember to pursue truth and to pursue the church that Jesus set up for us um and just maybe be aware of what's going on in our church but if it's going to cause you that distress get rid of yeah. twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah get that's rid a of good twitter point. yeah distinction you made between the church and then the people in the church so the people in the church shouldn't lead you away well it's like from, we all have the truth yeah, yeah and we all have we all have bad family members you know yeah. we have the black sheep in the family we have the the family that did something that's you know not good yeah and does that make my family name bad you know what I mean? All bad. Yeah. You right. gotta hold on to it to an extent. So it's yeah. I I I'm someone who definitely could get too emotionally involved on Twitter. So that's why I don't go on it except for, <laughs> for Super Bowl in the convent. <laughs> so I'm about to like I'm a little submarine that's about to emerge onto Twitter if I can remember my password and then <laughs> yeah for, for Super Bowl Sunday and that's it and then just go down that's again. Funny. Oh, you gotta reset it every year just for yeah that. exactly just for that. So yeah. so my advice: follow Super Bowl in the convent and then delete Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that this Sunday. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. What else is going on at the network system? Well, we're in the final push of the car raffle. Um, we just have another couple weeks, just barely. Uh, yeah, I'm what, excited, week and a half. Man. I know, yeah. it's super exciting. We're going to raffle off that 2022 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. And uh, it's an in-night black compact SUV. Uh, people are very, very excited about it. We are. I'm also very, very excited to almost be done. It's a very busy, busy time, but it's a lot of fun. Um, 
Um, yeah. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, please contact your local general manager. You can call or email them on our website, grnonline.com, or you can buy directly from the website, grnonline.com forward slash raffle. All benefits, um, all proceeds benefit the Guadalupe Radio Network, and they really help us out in the slower months of January and February after the holidays. And the tickets are one for $25 or five for 100 and we would appreciate the support. And you are you have a guarantee to support Catholic Radio and a chance to win that car on February 25th. So I'm really excited to find out who wins. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's cool that, you know, it's, it's always good to give to Catholic, good to get a to Catholic radio, right? That's mm. always good. It's always something you get in return. But in this instance, a whole new Mercedes Benz. Yes. <laughs> it's not a bad return, right? <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. And I heard that we have a back to the back back to the father is back this Friday. <laughs> we pray, right? Um yeah. yeah, we've had a couple weeks off due to illness and Texas had a like a blink of a snowstorm that made us all stay home for two days because okay. um, that's how that works here in North Texas. Um, but we're <laughs> finally going to do our show this Friday at 2 p.m. Central uh, on Hegel, Marxism, uh, and Aquinas and uh, kind of talking about the Hegel and Marx and their philosophies and how maybe Aquinas might answer to them in his philosophy and kind of talk about that. And those are some Marxism especially is talked about a lot these days. So. Yeah, the timing, timing, you know, timing always works out. So I'm sure somebody's going to be listening that day who just needed to hear that mm. show, and they were not available the last two weeks exactly. for whatever reason. Well, so. whoever you are, please be available so we can have our show this week. Because <laughs> it's been a really sad two weeks without Back to the Father. I'm yeah. like, I need to retain all my information. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Cecil. Of course. So, you know, as always, I'd like to thank you for just tuning in. Thanks for allowing me to come into your car right now or to your home. If you're watching online on one of the live um, YouTube streams. Um, and I thank you, Alan, who's watching on live streams, has made the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen intercede with you in your apostolic work. I appreciate that. He also says he loves Mercedes. So I appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, for your prayers. And again, thank you for allowing me to just come into your, your space for this moment to... Um, talk. So I want to talk about before Michael Snyder comes on about maybe seven, eight minutes here. I want to reflect on the nature of truth and, and freedom. And this is in context to what we see going on in society right now with the crime wave. It's, it seems to be legitimately real. It's not something that's fiction. The statistics do bear it out that um, there was a crime wave, a crime of violence and theft is expanding across the country. And, and the more that we see this, the more it expands, the more it becomes like a pressing issue, right? You know, there, there's the reaction from the politicians, the politicians, you know, they start to believe, oh, they must act, they must do something. <laughs> and the typical action coming from politicians is that usually they decide to Hey, we're going to enforce the laws already on the books or and or we're going to create new laws um, to punish offenders and to make people feel safe. Right. That's the well, it tends to be the only thing that politicians can do with legislation. It's not much. But they try. And but the closer and, the, and then there's the reaction that we have, the just the people who are just trying to go about our day, live the best life that we, we can in Christ. But the closer that crime gets to each of our front doors and even our businesses, the more we tend to just react to what's going on. Either we, we tend to retreat, um, we become consumers of weapons and home security systems, we become suspicious of one another. 
and we become just more animal-like and, and we start to look at um in, in our reflection how we start to look and treat other humans we look at them as threats because no one wants to be a, no one wants to become a crime of opportunity therefore we become more guarded and because we become more guarded we thereby become less free so the role of the theologian is a little bit different obviously than the politician so the job of the theologian is just really to reflect on the gospel and to discern how's it that man has has fallen so deep right so deep into his fallen nature just being a mere creature who has turned away from god and turned against his fellow creatures right he's he's become just as fallen to his creature nature um and it's odd because who he who created him he turns away from and because he turns away from god he, he turns against his fellow creatures so so how we might how might we approach this theologically well i think it's first to remember good to remember we must remember that on just the base level sin is bondage sin is slavery bondage and slavery are in opposition to freedom so the absence of authentic freedom tends to foster a climate of those who are in bondage to sin so those who are enslaved to sin Therefore, freedom um, is a question we should be looking to answer, right? What is freedom? If we're living in a free society where sin is, seems to be more prevalent than virtue, why are people in bondage in a country that loves to tell the world that they are the land of the free and the home of the brave? So to answer this question, I think a good resource, okay, is my favorite theologian, Joseph Ratzinger. One day he grew up and became Pope Benedict. So um, in this book that I'd like to draw from briefly here is called The Nature and Mission of Theology. So the nature nature and mission of theology. And so in, the, in this book, he writes, I quote, freedom is inseparably linked to the question of truth. When truth is not a value in itself, which merits both action uh, active interest and expenditure of time independently of his results profit can only be the only profit can be the only criteria with which to value evaluate knowledge so his key point there is that freedom is inseparably linked to the question of truth so as christians we can't think of these things separately so in more layman's terms so let us let us accept this statement by Joseph Ratzinger that freedom is inseparably linked from truth, from the question of truth. Because as Christians, we know that Christ Jesus is both the fullness of truth and in him we have authentic freedom. But what if we are living in a world that believes um that doesn't believe in that type of freedom, right? What if we live in a type of world that completely rejects Christ Jesus as the source of freedom? Everyone cannot be a slave, right? So it's not like everyone automatically becomes a slave. No, I think we, we pursue a different type of freedom, right? Because we must believe in freedom. But what type of freedom do we have if freedom is not intimately connected to truth? So if we cannot speak of freedom and truth synonymously, then what type of freedom do we have? Rosinger says here that in this case, 
in one form, and I quote, in one form or another, freedom is subordinate to power in its acquisitions. So freedom is placed under systems of power in its acquisitions in places like this where the society doesn't pursue Christ as true freedom or as a source of freedom. Freedom then becomes subordinate to these other things, these worldly things. And here Benedict Ratzinger names them as power and um, its acquisition. So there is where this is where freedom, where the illusion of freedom becomes more evident in our society. Everyone is in pursuit of freedom. No one pursues to be a slave, not, not because slavery is not in our nature. Even if we are slaves, there's a part of us that has to believe that we're free instinctually. The human person knows they're not a slave, even if they are called one. On the contrary, there's in our nature to pursue that nature which we were created in, namely love, truth, and freedom. We have to pursue those things because we were created by them and for them. But what happens, again, in a society where freedom is subordinate to the powers, uh, to the systems of power and acquisition? Well, all we end up doing is pursuing material. We become like these serial consumers. And because we never achieve, achieve true freedom through consumption, well, then we must consume more and more. And thereby, we become these serial disposers along the way. We're consuming, we're consuming, and then we have to dispose what we consume. It's this silly cycle that we fall into. But we're, but we're pursuing this false idea of freedom. But because we cannot attain it, we try to pursue what is there. And here in this society, freedom means consumption, dispose, consume, dispose, dispose, consume. So we might rightly call the three principles of a post-Christian society we might call them consume, dispose, and self-deify, that we're constantly consuming and disposing. And all the while, we're like becoming our own God. We become these false, we think our consumption and disposing is some sort of act of creating, right? So here Ratzinger responds in a case of where society has become inclined to consumption. He says, I quote, the world would no longer be anything but material for praxis, unquote. The world would be no lo the world would no longer be anything but material for praxis. So all we're doing is practicing this thing of material consumption. And that material is the only thing that, that matters to us. So the illusion to freedom also concerns not just systems of acquisition and consumption, but also systems of power. I think one of the most obvious instances we look here, so um, the systems of power. What does that look like in a world that isn't inclined to Christ as a source of freedom? Well, I think one clear example is this thing that we call the ballot booth, right? Every two years, we, we, we're, 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 we've been trained to believe that if we just go to this sacrament called the ballot booth, it's there where we exercise our true freedom, that we change our destiny. Now, now for the Christian, yes, I think we, we vote, but we should never think of that as an operation an act of freedom, of acting on true freedom. There may be some good attached to it, but it's not a true work of freedom because, again, it's in the system that we're in, truth is subordinate to politics. Okay, so politics is over the truth. So, therefore, when we act in the political sphere, we're not thereby acting in truth. 
So here, Joseph Ratzinger concludes about the distinction between illusion of freedom and real freedom in writing, the real choice of our time has become between the freedom of production and the freedom of truth, the freedom of production and the freedom of truth. But freedom, the freedom to produce unchecked by truth means the dictatorship of ends in a world devoid of truth, the, and thus enslaves man while appearing to set him free. So, so we're in this society of producing, right? But it's not being checked by truth. And all that results in is just this dictatorship of ends, right? And it's, and it, in the end, it's just this illusion of freedom that we're actually these slaves who are in bondage to the system. So then I conclude, so what should we do? What can a Christian do by living in a society that rejects the truth and thereby rejects authentic freedom? Well, here, Joseph Ratnick Zinger says, only when truth has value in itself and a glimpse of it outweighs every success, only then are we free. And that is why only authentic freedom is the freedom of truth. In particular, I would add, that is principled through, as Catholics, is principled through the liturgy that orients us to freedom and truth and, and draws us into communion with him who is freedom and truth. Moreover, I will say that the liturgy teaches that the great consumption is communion. Right? The great consumption is the consumption of the truth in the Holy Eucharist, and thereby our call is not to dispose what we consume. We don't dispose what we consume, the whole Eucharist. Rather, we give Jesus Christ away. We give him Him who we consume away through our own vocations and evangelization. So that's all I know about that for now. Right after the break, author and creator of the Economic Collapse blog, Michael Snyder, will be on to speak with us about the drivers of what appears um, to be a, a fallen economy. This is the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. So you're driving to work while listening to Catholic Drive Time. But you're not just driving any car. You're driving a midnight black 2022 GLA 250. Make 2022 your year by supporting the GRN and possibly winning a GLA 250 by going to grnonline.com and buying five tickets for $100 or $25 for one. Raffle ends February 21st and you must be 18 or older to participate. Keeping you informed and inspired. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. News and information, Catholic conversation, inspiration, fun, and prizes are involved. Log on to our website to get all the details, to find all the information, the podcast, the videos, and so much more. GRNonline.com. That's GRNonline.com forward slash CDT. God love you. The first promise the Guadalupe Radio Network made in 1996 was to protect the sanctity of life from conception until natural death. Our beautiful Catholic faith serves as a perfect guide in dealing with the sanctity of life issues and how to address the difficult challenges that our nation and the world are facing in many ways in today's society and culture. 
Almost every program on the Guadalupe Radio Network provides to our listening family at some time the need to protect life, whether that life is in the womb or in its final stages in a nursing home or hospital. Whether you are listening to the homilies during the daily mass from the EWTN chapel or to the various call-in shows, you will always hear about the sanctity of all life. We are one Guadalupe Radio Network family. We are radio for your soul. This is Len Oswald, president of the GRN, with your GRN Family Minute. And I want to thank you for being part of the GRN family. Welcome back in to the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on Guadalupe Radio Network, which is ready for you. So Michael Snyder is the author of six books, including his latest, The Seven-Year Apocalypse, which is available on Amazon.com right now. He has been a frequent guest on major radio and television shows all over the nation, and his website has been viewed over one million times. That is the economiccollapseblog.com. And Michael articles have also been republished on dozens of major websites, including some of the biggest alternative news websites on the entire planet. Michael is deeply concerned about the direction that the country is heading, and he's working very hard to bring renewal in America. And now he's on the David O. Gray Show. Welcome on, Michael. How's it going? David, thank you for having me on today. Yes, pleasure to have you here. Um, I ran into your to your blog. I don't know how. But I was so impressed by your frequency of publishing articles, your depth of insights, all the books that you've been written, you've written about this topic. Tell us, I mean, just a little bit about just what drives your passion. How did you get into writing about the, the drivers and the, the triggers in the economy about what's going on beyond what we just read on, on the surface? How did you get into doing this work? Yeah, it's very interesting, David, because over a decade ago, I was actually in Washington, D.C. I worked as an attorney. And you think if you're going to change the world, well, Washington, D.C. is a great place to do that, right? right? But God led me and my wife out of there. And eventually we ended up here in the mountains of the great Northwest in the middle of nowhere. And from here, uh, I, I, I write and literally touch people all over the planet. We get emails from people all over the world. And so it's kind of ironic. God took us out of Washington, D.C., put us in the middle of nowhere. And from here, we're touching people literally uh, all over the planet through our work and very, very thankful for that. But, uh, you know, and, and but when I was in, as an attorney, I looked at, at everything that was happening. I looked at, at, at the world. I was like, what in the world can one person do? And this is a question we all ask, right? We're like, how can we have an impact on this crazy world that we live in? And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll start writing. And at first, you could have measured my uh, audience with a microscope, but it started to grow and grow. And, it, yeah. and eventually, it, re it really blew up uh, into something really, really big. So I've been doing this for a full time for over a decade now. And I'm wow. very thankful that the Lord has put me in this position. Mm -hmm. Of all the books you've, you've written, uh, what has been the one that, and I, and I say this and I ask this honestly, because as, you know, as a writer myself, my most popular book isn't my favorite book, <laughs> right? So what what's what's been so I ask you so that's a distinction I make. What's been your 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 favorite book you've written, and is it your most popular book? Well, I would have to say my uh, last two books combined because 
that people are starting to realize that the Bible actually speaks to our time, that we're moving into those times that the Bible describes uh, as the last days, the end times, or, you know, the book of Revelation. And so my last two books entitled Lost Prophecies of the Future of America, which, by the way, I have even a, a Catholic prophecy from hundreds of years ago in, in that book, which has very important implications for our future. And, uh, and then combine that book, Lost Prophecies of the Future of America, with my latest book, Seven Year apocalypse both of them give people a, a, a real roadmap of the times we're moving into not just economically but literally our whole society a, a process of collapse has already begun and we can talk about some of the specifics here on the program today and we're leading into that time i believe that we are the generation that, that is going to be here. We're the book of Revelation generation. We're going to be the generation that ultimately sees uh, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but things are going to get really, really crazy but, uh, 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 leading up to that time. And you talk about a lot of those crazy things, not only in your books, obviously, but also in your essays that you write. So I'm speaking with Michael Snyder. He is the he's an author, speaker. Um, um, you can see principally his work and his books at the economic collapse blog.com is spelled just like it sounds just run it all together. The economic collapse blog.com. There you can see all of his books. They're on the sidebars. And in the middle, you can see all of his essays and you can tell he gets a lot of people commenting. So there's a lot of, a lot of action here. And I, I just want to kind of take it from the top, Michael, and just kind of see how, the whole thing develops and where you lead us. And if you have any questions, um, please call in to speak with Michael. That's 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. And you can um, also, if you're watching on live streams, the YouTubes, the Facebooks, um, please chime in there and we'll make sure we, we get you there as well. So uh, Michael, so, just recently, you wrote this today, no, yesterday, ramp, rampant drug shortages. Right now, there are shortages of 116,000 pharmaceutical drugs in the United States. The essay kind of threw me off because of you know all the problems that we have in the world, right? Of all the things, of all the drugs that we could have made free for people if we really weren't trying to help people. You know, we would have made insulin free. We made a, would have made a lot of free drugs if we really wanted to save people's lives. If there was, you know, but obviously the only free drug that I knew about was just what's going on with the the vaccine. So why is there why is there a shortage? Yeah, uh, David, this is very alarming because we have shortages of so many things. But in this article, I focused on the shortages of drugs. And so yesterday, just yesterday, I went to the, the FDA list because the FDA keeps a list of the drugs that, there, that are shortage. There are shortages in the United States of, of certain drugs. And that list is now up to 116 uh, the drugs that are in shortage right now in the United States today. And that's a big problem because many people rely on drugs to keep them alive. Many people rely on drugs to, you know, relegate, uh, to, to, to regulate certain diseases and so forth. And so this is a huge problem. One of, and one of the big reasons why we have a shortage of drugs is because over the decades, we've outsourced so much production like we have in so many other areas to uh, other countries, in particular to China. For example, today, China manufactures 97% of all antibiotics purchased uh, in the United States. Uh, 
Um, and so if China were to cut off uh, all, all of a sudden our supply of antibiotics and other drugs, we would uh, be in a whole lot of trouble. For example, that one expert that was uh, interviewed by NBC News, uh, this particular expert, she said, quote, if China shut the door on experts of medicines and their key ingredients and raw material, U.S. hospitals and military hospitals and clinics would cease to function within months, if not days. Wow. And so that's the kind of vulnerability we have, David. And that's very that has huge implications moving forward because, of course, our relations with, with China are going downhill very, very rapidly, which I wrote about was, was going to happen a few years ago in Lost Prophecies of the Future of America. But it's happening very quickly. And then once China invades Taiwan, we'll be instantly in a state of war with China and then China cuts off our drugs. We're going to have people dying all over the place. Our, our hospitals aren't even going to be able to function uh, because, of a, because of a lack of uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Man, this is a tender situation. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal because, you know, people, I guess a lot of people like me, you know, we think of, don't know a whole, whole lot about this. So we think of drugs in two ways. We think of drugs, you know, the name brand drugs. And then we think of secondhand drugs that are, that are cheaper. So are you saying that, all drugs are both of those like the name brand or whatever and then you know generic drugs they they both don't have a lot of production in north america yeah well it, it, the situation is different from drug to drug certain drugs you can still get certain drugs you get a prescription go to the pharmacy you'll get it filled right away in mm -hmm. other cases people are waiting weeks or even months to get their prescription builds because because there's very serious shortages so it depends what drug you're ch ch uh what, what, what you're wondering about and if you if you're wondering about a specific drug just go to the type go to google and type in fda drug mm -hmm. shortage list and, and it'll come right up for you um and, but of course it's not just drugs that we have a shortage of uh right now uh david we've got shortages of so much uh throughout uh, all of our society um and uh, the other day, I posted a quote from a, a CEO of a chain of convenience stores down in Texas. And he says that his chain of convenience stores, in terms of the things that they order, there are outs right now of literally up to, depending on the week, up to 8,000 different products that they order on a regular basis. So they're just trying to get whatever they can to fill the shelves. And you probably notice this if you go to Walmart or, or retailers around the country, you go down aisles and you see a hole there, a hole there. It's not everything. It's not shortages of everything, but shortages of, of, of certain things are becoming quite serious. Like just today, I saw a major news story about... Uh, uh, the shortage of baby formula, where there is a, a quite a serious a shortage of baby formula developing in this country. Um, or, or you look at uh, pet food, pet food, particularly canned pet food that comes in aluminum okay. cans. That's uh, very, very serious. So, you know, we have been told that the supply chain crisis, you know, which is the worst really in, in since World War II, at least, that we've been experiencing, we were told, well, it, it's gonna go away. It, by the time we get to 2022, it'll be gone. No, instead it's it's worse than ever. In fact, in fact, the head commodity strategist for Goldman Sachs, he just went on Bloomberg TV and he said, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen anything like this. And, and let me give you a quote from him. Quote, this is a molecule crisis. We're out of everything. I don't care if it's oil, gas, coal, copper, aluminum, you name it, we're out of it, unquote. David, this is a serious global crisis that is rapidly growing. Right. And we're speaking with Michael Snyder. You can find him, 
find his work at the economic collapse blog com. That is the economic class blog.com. If you have a question, feel free to call in or drop one in the, the live streams. 877-757-9424. This is David O'Gray show on Guadalupe radio network, man, Michael, I, I just want to just, just cut to the chase. I mean, <laughs> since you, with everything that you're dropping on us, Michael is obviously an expert. He knows that he, he does this professionally. Um, he's not just an alarmist. He's more like a, a, a an awakus, <laughs> try to wake us to, to what's going on. But I mean, but Michael, what are we being lied to every day? You know, I always tell my, my audience that from the moment we wake up to the moment that we go to sleep, we're just being inundated with lies. Just people lying to us, lying to us, lying to us all day long. And so we have to shift through the truth um, to find the truth. But concerning the economy, what, what are we being... What are we being lied to, lied about? Yeah, let me give you a very uh, simple example. Last Friday, okay, the, the jobs report, the latest jobs report for last month came out, and the headlines said, oh, the U.S. added 467,000 jobs last month. That's a great number. Everything's wonderful, except everything's not actually wonderful because uh, the unadjusted number, the true number, was that the U.S. economy actually lost 2.8 million jobs last month. But through the magical of seasonal adjustments, and they made all kinds of adjustments, and it, and it was actually ended up being the, 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 just the seasonal adjustment was the largest that we've ever seen before by a very wide margin. And they made all sorts of other adjustments, which turned a loss of uh, 2.8 million jobs into a gain of 467,000 jobs, which then the Biden administration says, oh, look, everything's wonderful, everything's great, but everything's not so great, you know? Um, and then, you know, we're also being told, oh, the computer chip shortage, which is affecting thousands of different industries all right. over the country. We were told, oh, the Biden administration said, we're on top of this, things are going to get better, but instead things are getting even worse. In fact, Ford Motor just uh, halted or cut back production at eight different manufacturing facilities in North America because they don't have enough computer chips literally to make their vehicles. And so that's a, a huge problem right now. And so, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at this, but let me talk about one shortage that is gonna have huge implications going forward. Because what, you know, right now we, we just don't have a, a, a shortage problem, but we've also got an energy crisis, which has erupted a new global energy crisis. All forms of traditional energy are becoming more expensive and traditional forms of energy are heavily used in the production of fertilizer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got fertilizer shortage and also fertilizer prices are just going through the roof. In fact, uh, uh, you know, a while back, a, uh, a farmer who I correspond with, he wrote to me and he said, Michael, the price of fertilizer has tripled. Uh, you know, it's not going to be profitable for us to plant corn this year. It's not going to be profitable all over the country to plant corn this year. And this is going to cause major, major problems, you know, later on this year. And so I shared with my readers what he had said. And I started digging, asking questions and digging into it more. And I, I found that Senator Marshall had written a column of Senator Marshall from Kansas about how the, uh, the 
price of different fertilizers had either doubled or up to quadrupled in some cases. And so this is going to cause a major, major problem because if it's not profitable to plant corn, we've got already farmers all over the country saying we're not going to plant corn this year. But corn is one of the pil pillars of our food system. In fact, if you go to the store, they put corn syrup in our drinks. They put corn syrup in our bread. Corn is just about in everything in one form or another. And so farmers aren't growing corn that's going to cause a major problem. But beyond that, all over the world, David, we're, we're seeing this major problem with fertilizer. We're in South America, where the, the cost of fertilizer is so high, they're going to be cutting back on coffee production. So if you drink coffee in the morning, get ready to pay a lot more for coffee. Or over in Africa, where a lot of times, a lot of those farmers are just barely scraping by. And, well, now they're saying the cost of fertilizer is so high. Well, they're going to try to grow their crops without fertilizer. So many of these African farmers, and that's going to reduce yields. That's going to reduce mm. the amount of food overall that's grown. In fact, they're telling us that the amount of food grown that's going to be reduced from the amount that Africa grows alone is going to be enough to feed 100 million people this year. And so they're going to have to export a tremendous amount of food, but everyone else is going to be trying to export food too, because they're going yeah. to be growing less because the price of fertilizer has gotten so dramatically high. So literally we're being warned that we're heading into a global, a global food crisis where already we've seen the number of people uh, who don't have enough to eat every day has surged dramatically in the last two years during this pandemic. And now David, we're about to go to an entirely new level. Uh, we're speaking with Michael Snyder. He is the creator, author. Um, you can find him over at theeconomiccollapseblog.com. That's theeconomiccollapseblog.com. Michael, why are you saying that? Kind of like things sort of like sort of came like full circle for some of the things I've been hearing about um, people like you know Bill Gates buying up a bunch of farmland because if you don't have if you don't have grain to feed animals, right? You can't produce. Um, you can produce a lot of, you know, we consume a lot of meat in this country. So it makes sense that, um, you know, someone's buying up a bunch of land to produce artificial meat and things like that. But I'll let you talk about that shortly if you want to. But um, we've got a question that came in from Dave Palmer. He says, what impact will the truckers protest in Canada have on supply chain issues? And um, do you think a similar trucker event will happen here in the States? Well, I hope something similar happens here in the United States, but we've already seen similar uh, trucker convoys are taking place in New Zealand and Australia and places in Europe. And I love what the truckers are doing in Canada because they're fighting for, for their, their freedom. They're fighting for their rights. They're fighting for the right not to put these poisonous vaccines into their body. Uh, and so I love what they're doing, but is it going to make our supply chain problems even worse? Oh, yeah, because the United, many people are surprised to hear that the number one trade partner for the United States in the entire world is actually Canada. So there's a tremendous amount of cross-border traffic that goes and cross-border trade between the United States and Canada. And, and these trucker strikes uh, are, are in fact, and it's not just in Ottawa, but different border crossings, particularly one uh, here in and not too far from where I live in the Northwest is being blocked. So traffic can't even get through the Coots border crossing is being blocked. And so this wow. is going to affect the flow of goods and services. It's going to make our supply chain crisis uh, worse. And so I've, you know, for such a long time, I've encouraged people to uh, stockpile food and emergency supplies and things that you're going to need potentially for an extended period of time, 
because the, the shortages we're experiencing now are only going to get worse and prices are only going to get higher. And, and because, you know, what we've seen over the past couple of years in response to the pandemic, you know, of course, the authorities all over the world shut down the economies. And then they're like, we're ruining the economies. We have to do something. So then they started borrowing and spending money. Our politicians in Washington, like there's no tomorrow, trillions and trillions of dollars, a spending spree like we've never seen before. And then the Federal Reserve stepped in and said, we've got to pump up the stock market. So they flooded the financial system with trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, mostly buying bonds. But then the stock market loves that. And then the stock prices have been on this ridiculous bubble. And so what they've done in the process by flooding the system with so much money is they've created tremendous inflation because now we have way too much money chasing way too few goods and services. And so we've got uh, housing prices have gone completely nuts. New vehicle prices. If you go to buy a new vehicle today, in the old days, the goal would be to get as far under sticker price as you could. Now today, most vehicles are selling, in some cases, $5,000 to $10,000 above sticker price. It's absolutely insane. Used vehicles have gone even more nuts, though their prices. Or you go to the grocery store you, to fill up a cart full of food, well, you go to the register, now it's like $300 in many cases for, you know, and, and so it, inflation is totally out of control and it's not just happening in the United States, but it's worldwide and it's affecting the price of food. And so you talk about people at the bottom of the economic food chain all over the planet, they're being hit really hard. Uh, global hunger is rising dramatically. We're moving toward that time, David, spoken of in the book of Revelation, when there literally is going to be global shortages of food, global famine. The stage is being set for that right now. We're speaking with Michael Snyder. You can find him at theeconomicclassblog.com. And he all these things that he's he's touching on, he's went in depth on many of them on his website and also in his books you can find on the sidebar. And also you just type in his name, Michael Snyder, over at places like um, like Amazon. You know, all his books come up there as well. So, Michael, respond, respond, to, respond to this. Um, the cryptocurrency industry does not pose any sort of threat to national security. Is that true or false? Oh, not at all. But the, the Biden administration is saying that it does. The Biden administration, in fact, the Biden administration, you know, of course, they, they uh, are, are ruining just about everything they touch. But now they say we're going to set this new regulatory framework for cryptocurrency and we're going to tightly control it. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is talking about coming out with their own digital currency. And so what a lot of people fear is that the, the, the government's going to come in. All these people, they just they just wanted to trade their cryptocurrencies. They just wanted their, once again, repressing freedom. And that they're going to ruin that industry. And, and then they're going to say, oh, okay, everyone, now you can use this new cryptocurrency that the Federal Reserve has uh, put out, which they control. Because right, right now, the various cryptocurrencies are out there. Are, it's been out of their control. And they, they, they panic when there's something that they don't control, just like the internet, just like, you know, like me and you and others have used the internet to share our ideas with people all over the world. And, and it's been a great thing for freedom of speech and for our ability to communicate with one another. But now in the last few years, what have we seen? We've seen an unprecedented push to censor us, to uh, deplatform us, to cancel those of us that express views that don't agree with the mainstream narratives that are uh, being pushed uh, by, by uh, those with wealth and power. Michael, can you talk a little bit about, we still have, um, let's talk about maybe like 10 minutes. So if you want to call in or 
have something I have another question I'm please I see a lot of people coming in on the live stream so um, yeah please ask a question there or call in 877-757-9424 that's 877-757-9424 and this is the David O'Grace show voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network here with Michael Snyder of the economic collapse blog dot com Michael I want to ask you more of a uh, a macro question um, just about the global players okay you can I guess you may be throwing individuals too but just I'm thinking more like in nations um, is there a way to like tie everything together when we're thinking about the like the, um, the United Kingdom Israel NATO Russia everything that's going on how can how can we look at the Russia issue and all that stuff that's going on there economically and how that can impact just an ordinary guy who's going to his eight to five job. Yeah. Well, what we're witnessing right now is a whole nother piece of the puzzle with the geopolitical players where we see this uh, crisis with Ukraine and Russia. And we're saying, Oh, that well war could erupt there uh, at any moment. Well, I've been warning literally for years because God <laughs> warned us in advance that the United States and Russia will be going to war. There will be conflict there. And now we're starting to see those pieces go into place. Also, the United States and China, with China threatening to invade Taiwan, could happen. You know, it won't happen during the Olympics, but we're moving toward that direction very rapidly, as I referenced earlier in the show. But we know that eventually it's going to happen. China and the U.S. will go to war. Israel and Iran. Today, there was just a headline on Drudge Report about Iran now has missiles that can hit the, uh, yeah, hit Israel and and, and U.S. bases, and and uh, Iran's getting very close to uh, being able to produce their own nuclear weapon um and israel saying they're never going to allow that to happen well we know israel and iran are going uh to go to war and i re- wrote about all the, these uh in in lost prophecies of the future of america so all these things are going to happen and that's and that's going to make our economic problems a whole lot worse in particular once war erupts in the middle east or anywhere in the world really our energy crisis is going to get a whole lot worse david and this the energy crisis affects everything because what we're seeing is that at at this point, we've gotten to a point where all the easy energy to extract from the ground, out of the ground, we've pretty much gotten all that at at this point. So now we're moving on to harder and harder uh, 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 reserves of energy to pull out of the ground, and that becomes more expensive. And so that, you know, that's part of this energy crisis that we're seeing. In addition, at the same time, the financial players around the world, the big banks, the big financial institutions, they don't want to fund the development of uh, any projects that that uh, are, are tied to natural forms of energy because they're saying, well, we don't want to be involved in global warming, making global warming worse. And, and this is their viewpoint on it. So they don't want to fund projects that, that, that for oil, natural gas, all these things. And so we're seeing the price of natural gas and oil go up because global demand for energy continues to increase, but the supply is not keeping up. And the alternative forms of energy that they keep touting are not enough to meet the rising demand. And so we've got rising demand and supply is staying stagnant. And so that's increasing all energy prices. So you go to the pump, you go to the pump, David, and people are experiencing a lot of pain. They're saying, hey, I... I, the price of gasoline is a whole lot higher. This is painful for me. This is painful for my budget. Or to heat their homes. Many people are being warned, hey, the price to heat your home is going to go up uh, 50% or more this year. I'm holding in my hand 
a bill. I just got a, a propane bill, another form of energy, $820 uh, to fill up my propane tank, which we use propane here to, to heat our home. Uh, just one visit from the propane guy. You know, I felt like saying, well, you know, what kid, what uh, organ do you want me to donate in order to pay that bill? <laughs> it's crazy, Man. you know, yeah. uh, but, but David, it, but the, the trends that are causing this are only going to get worse. And so people need to understand a new energy crisis has erupted that is worse than anything we've seen since at least the 1970s. But the overall trends in the 1970s crisis was just temporary. The trends that are causing this are going to continue to get worse. And then if war comes, I mean, it's just going to get absolutely crazy. Yeah. I speak with Michael Snyder. You can find him at the economic class blog. Dot com that's the economic class blog.com uh, check out his books also you can type his name in the google or at amazon you can see everything he's doing as well as his books you can you can buy and check out preview over at amazon check out the reviews everything you know people read his work everybody likes what he says um so he's definitely been prophetic on this issue and I think a lot of people are starting to notice that people may, you know, a lot of people notice the whole gas thing. But as far as the empty shelves here in the Midwest, I really hadn't noticed it much, Michael, until last weekend I was over at the Costco. And Costco, you know, they always have stacks and stacks of, you know, just two layers of just crates. But I'm there this last weekend and there's on a second level, there's there's nothing. Right, just just bare. So eventually, that has to trickle down to the bottom floor where we shop, and it's like so it's, um, it's hitting everywhere. Let me see if I get one more um, question in here, Michael. Um, this is John from Kentucky. He is coming in now. Hey, John, thanks for calling in to the David L. Gray Show. What's your question for Michael? Um. I wanted to ask Michael, I've been watching the news lately and it seems like everything's about masks and vaccinations. We have thousands and thousands of trucks, you know, uh, on, in, in Canada, et cetera. And I've always thought that masks and all of this is a big, huge, gigantic smoke screen to take, take our eyes off of what's happening with the economy. And I wanted to know if, what he thinks about that. Yeah, thanks, Michael. I mean, John. Oh, that's John Bedard, my friend. Oh, thanks for calling in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love you, brother. Okay. Right. Yeah, love you too. Thanks. Bye. Well, I definitely agree that so much of what we see and hear on the mainstream news is a smokescreen to distract us from other things. There's so many things, and I try to write about so many of those under the radar things that are really important uh, on my websites because there's so many things that are important. But in terms of masks and restrictions, you know, all these are instruments of control and the elite. What this pandemic has done is given the elite the, the excuse to implement things that they always wanted to implement, and whether it's vaccine passports, whether it's various types of mandates. It's a, you know, it's basically an authoritarian's dream and the move toward authoritarianism that we've seen all over the world, whether it's Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, really all over the planet, China as well, but really, you know, Austria has just gone completely nuts. But it's, it's very, very frightening. And what's even more frightening is that a certain uh, percentage of the population in each nation has willingly embraced the authoritarianism, said, yeah, we want this, we support this, which 
kind of uh, alarms me because if they're willing to accept these crazy things now, well, are they also going to embrace eventually once the Antichrist comes along that the book of Revelation talks about? Are they going to eagerly embrace his authoritarianism? So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I've been so alarmed by the, the, the turn toward authoritarianism we've seen all, all over the world of, over the last couple of years, and, and it's really grieved me greatly. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if you're like me, Michael, but um, I'm sure you knew much earlier than, than myself because you've been on this path for quite a long time. But I really didn't know until the whole thing happened with the response to um, the virus, how I didn't know the world I lived in. I really didn't. I didn't know the world I lived in, had traveled in a lot of places in the world, had been to New Zealand, I've been to Australia, I've been around, you know, many places in the world. I didn't know that the world that I was living in would be, would fall so quickly into, would accept totalitarianism. I, I, I didn't know that. Did you? It's been shocking to me, but uh, you know, the, our world is changing at a pace that is absolutely breathtaking and it's sad, but on the one hand, we have hope because we look forward and we know at the end of the story of those of us that are believers that Jesus is coming back and we're going to be with him forever. So that's the end of the story. And we have the greatest end of the story that anyone can possibly imagine, but the rest of the world that's moving into this, that does not know Jesus, they have no hope. They have nothing for the future to look forward to yeah. except pain and horror and disaster and, and bad things. Um, and that's why we've got to share Jesus with as many people as we possibly can, because this is the time of the harvest. This is the time to share Jesus, because the only hope that we can give to people is Jesus. And he he's the answer to everything. Amen. That's a, that's a great way to end this show. You must have been watching the clock, Michael. You know we were coming to the end, and I was going to ask you for your final thoughts. But I think that's really the best way to end, that the, our hope is in Christ Jesus and his salvation. And, yeah, things are, are going to get tough. There's grace found in suffering. Um, I think Michael Snyder has given us some sort of idea and given us some roadmap. And if you want to find out more about some of the things he's, he's written, um, please go to his website, theeconomicclassblog.com. Check out his books. There's a lot more there to glean. But for now, thanks for coming on, Michael. Thank you, David. God bless. And thank you for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place. I look forward to conversing with you again. In between time, visit me at davidlgray.info. But until then, until next time, remember that Jesus does love you. Jesus is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance and blessings of our Lord's blessings and graces fall upon you and yours. Thank you.